Okay, welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. I'm Reg and I'm joined by Buckets on this Tuesday night, I think it is. It is Tuesday yes, night. Glad I checked Tuesday. that. We're off to a great start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a busy, busy time at the moment with kids and footy and, and basketball and Olympic preparation and there's just a lot, a lot going on at the moment. It certainly is, and it's sort of all you want to talk about is the Boomers winning today, but, you know, we'll get we'll onto, the, <laughs> onto the NBA stuff. <laughs> so we are three games into the NBA finals. Um, obviously, at the moment, the Suns are leading 2-1. Uh, the home team has taken every game thus far. Um, so I thought, because it's taken us a while to, uh, to be able to get this organized, which is my fault, um, let's start with day, game one. And um, then we'll go through games two, three, and, and obviously forecast what we think going forward. So what were your views of, of game one? So you see, the initial thing was the the unexpected return of Giannis um, in game one. And all the news coming into the game was that if he was going to come back, the earliest it was looking like would be game three when they were back in Milwaukee, um, if, at, if at all. Um, so the fact that he lined up for the opening tip in game one, I think gave everyone a good, certainly gave me a boost um, knowing that, okay, the the biggest star of the series is going to be in. And, and then it's basically just watching to see how much he can contribute, you know, what percentage was he at. And to his credit, he was, you know, close to 100% in terms of his movement and things. You could tell he was feeling it out seeing how well he was able to move laterally, left to right, jumping, rebounding, all that sort of stuff. And uh, just obviously get that confidence back in the knee. Um, On the flip side of that, on the Phoenix side of the equation, they just come out and basically were clicking on all cylinders. They're, They're good players, all play well. Obviously, Chris Paul had another dominant performance carrying over from his game six against the Clippers. Um, DeAndre Ayton in his first finals appearance played a tremendous game would have had a 20-20 game wasn't Chris Paul in the final seconds taking that last rebound Devin Booker 27 points so really their big three all play well and their role players all chipped in as well so in terms of Phoenix they couldn't have asked much more in their first finals game and Milwaukee I think it's it's sometimes hard when there's an injury and you sort of, they were probably expecting Giannis not to play. So they're going in with a mindset thing. Okay. We're going to be playing like we have the last two games without him against Atlanta. And then he comes back in. So it's sort of that transition to try to work back into the flow of the game with Giannis being back in the, in the side and being away from home. Obviously the, the crowd in Phoenix going bananas because they're playing so well. I think all of that combined um, you know, and they kept making timely shots. Like I was watching the game and I want Milwaukee to win. Every time they would get close, whether they'd bring it back to eight or bring it back to six or seven, then Phoenix would hit another three or make a big shot. And, and they could never get to a point where it was even a, a one possession game. It was always either a, a double digit lead or at least a two possession game, even when they got it below 10 points late um, in the fourth quarter. So, you know, as Doc Rivers likes to say, it's a make or miss league and they were making timely shots each time Milwaukee would make a run, which made it difficult to ever really have a chance to win that game. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, so two two things stood out to me. Um, the first one was the free throw difference. Um, Phoenix was plus thirteen 
from the line. I think they went like 25 of 26. They only missed, I think Jay Crowder missed a free throw very, very late in the game. Otherwise, they would have been perfect from the line. Um, and Milwaukee only went nine for 16, which is pretty low in an NBA finals game, particularly when you've got a guy like Giannis who does tend to get to the free throw line a lot. Um, now, obviously, he was probably a little bit ginger on the knee, so he needed to just sort of not go too crazy in that game. Um, obviously, he's been crazy since. But the biggest thing I could not understand is why Milwaukee was switching one through four, sometimes one through five. And you've got your big guys on Chris Paul, who's just a master with the ball. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, this is such a, it's almost like the, the Phoenix, Phoenix knew that that's what they were going to do because they just, as you, I think you, you put it in our group chat during the game, like they're just getting everything they want offensively. Like, and it was, Milwaukee were, were switching. It looked like they were trying to switch one through four, but as I said, sometimes Big Lopez got got caught out on Chris Paul as well, and it was just like you are never going to win nor get back into this game if you're letting guys who can't really play defense against a guy like Chris Paul. He was just like, I think Devin Booker after the game said, when Chris gets it and he starts to back it up, you know, because they've done a switch, it's just like get let's just watch like this is going to you know this is going to go in. So it was so frustrating, I think, watching that game to be like, stop switching. Like, we're having a good old man-to-man, you know what I mean? Like, I know the game is so heavily switching now, but it obviously depends on the lineups to be able to do that. When Giannis plays at the five, that's a little bit different than when they've got Lopez playing at the five to be able to switch, you know, because you can't have Lopez or even Bobby Portis or any of those guys out on on Chris Paul because he's just going to lick his lips and, and you know, and, and then the, the rotations the other rotations then if he gets into the paint which he's so good at it's it's just they all start collapsing and then he's kicking it out to those shooters and it's just you know Devin Booker was was lights out um Cam Johnson and and um Jay Crowder and these guys can if they've got an open look it's it's money every time so you can't allow I guess it to be that easy for a guy like Chris Paul like he controlled that game like you would see like a LeBron controller game. Like he was just in complete control. Whatever he wanted to do, wherever he wanted to get to, he got to. And it was like, almost from start to finish, it was just like, they've won this game. Like you could, you just couldn't see, and you know, basketball is normally a game of runs, but you just couldn't see Milwaukee breaking anything down or trying something different. It was almost like they just stuck with their game plan, which I get from a coaching perspective is sometimes a good thing, but you know, to like stick to it because you're just not executing it properly. But I just think I just think the game plan was wrong. I just think they were completely outplayed. And you're probably right. I didn't actually think about that maybe they weren't prepared for Giannis because that could have definitely played a factor in the fact that they kind of looked a bit out of out of sorts in that game. Um, and I feel like in games two and th- like every single game, that's getting better and better. Um, as obviously Giannis gets better and better as well. Um, but yeah, the Bucks' defense for me was was just key in that game. And I guess on the flip side, you've got to give credit to Phoenix for just going, if this is how they're going to defend us, this is how we're going to attack. And it was just like money in the bank. And as you said, timely shots. Whenever Milwaukee looked like they may be chipping away, and that was it on the game too. That's it. And in game ones are normally like that in terms of feeling out what the other team is going to do. Um, you know, Milwaukee's a team that switches heavily and most NBA teams do switch quite heavily yeah. on the pick and roll um, these days. So, you know, if I was coaching an NBA team going into a seven-game series where you know it's not just, you know, one and done, you know, you don't sort of want to preempt and try to think, okay, they might do this, so we might do that. You sort of go in with, okay, this is how we play all year, so let's go with that. 
and see how it unfolds. And obviously it went out and they got beat and they realized, okay, this is not going to work. So then you make the adjustments going forward because you know, okay, that's only game one. You sort of got to, you know, just see it and feel it out. And it sucks because then you go down 0-1 and you think, oh, you know, this is no good. But at least then you got the feedback to say, okay, this is what they exploited. So let's, okay, how do we flip the script on that and make it so that they can't exploit it? So then it goes back to Phoenix to try to work out, well, we can't do what we did in game one. What are we going to do going into game two? Yep. Yep. Completely agree. Um, let's move on to game two and I'll go first. Um, so I guess game two, the defensive side for me for the Bucks was much better. So leading <laughs> to your point there, um, I think what they, the, the problem with what they did for me in game two was they almost overhelped and Phoenix in the, uh, in the corner were just cashing everything. Like the, you know, they were they were sticking to their man, but then there was guys hedging, but they were sort of hedging a little bit too much or trying to help too much that it was just almost like penetrate down the middle, kick out to the corner three, penetrate down the middle, kick out to the corner three, um, which is not the shot that you want to give up of any shot <laughs> in the NBA. The other thing, um, and I guess this goes back to game one too, but that I think is unique about the Suns is they really do have a mid-range game between Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And not many teams are used to playing against that because it's usually three or at the rim. Normally the, the two is the shot you want to give up, but you can't give it up against these guys when the game slows down like it has in the playoffs because they'll just destroy you. So you, you have to start to help and hedge and that's where they can then kick it out to the shooters. Um, so I think that that would take a while to get used to a team that really, really um, uses the mid-range Um when the game slows down because you can't just give them that shot. Like you'd be probably happy giving majority three quarters of the league, if not more um, during the regular season, you can't do that in playoffs. Um, so that stood out to me um, in game two as well. Um, Mikhail Bridges had a big game too. Is it Mikhail? Yeah. Mikhail Bridges. I always get yeah, him and the yeah. one at, at Charlotte miles bridges. I think it is mixed up. Lars um, Pippen's your boyfriend. Yeah. Might be married now. Poor Scotty. So there's another uh, thing with Scotty's career. He's, he's, his ex-wife's all around all the new young NBA players. Yeah, I can't I, catch a break, that bloke. I blame the fact that she's friends with the Kardashians, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> well, they're not friends. They had a falling out now, so Ooh, they're, they're, they're there enemies. You go. There you go. <laughs> Man, we could talk about that for hours, but let's get back to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked Bridges coming out of um, – uh, college i think he was on on the bulls radar and all they were talking about was he's not going to be a flashy pick but he's going to be a guy that just helps teams win um he's a great defender long um and can shoot the three like that real three and d that you need and i think in this game he i mean although he put up um he had 27 and 7 or something like that he just does so many little things i think that just lead to winning um that he's one of those guys who can do things that don't necessarily show up on the box score but really help, um, yeah, really help your team win. So for me, he was super impressive. And not just in that game, but if you watch him sort of the way that he goes about it in every game, you just watch tiny little things he does, whether it's giving help defense or hedging or doing whatever. Um, he, he helps that, plays a role, I guess, that every single team in the league would love to have. Um, it's almost similar to uh, Chris Middleton in a sense, not quite as, as skillful, not quite as offensively, um, talented, but he does a little bit of everything, um, which which really helps. Um, 
But the thing that stood out for me in this game was that block by Drew Holiday, I think it was. Um, Giannis did that massive block in game one. And this one, I can't remember who he blocked. It might have even been Booker on a dunk attempt. And it was just like, wow. For a, for a guy like Drew Holiday to be you know, a point guard um, and to, to chase a guy down, almost like LeBron-esque. And then you, know, you can expect it from LeBron because he's just a beast <laughs> but Giroud's this little, <laughs> little point guard and he comes out of nowhere and just swats uh, this dunk attempt um, which I thought was just awesome um, and then obviously Giannis was was pretty special just didn't have help didn't have enough help Giroud didn't have a good game aside from that block didn't have a good game one or two and and Chris was pretty ordinary so it was almost like a Giannis versus Phoenix for me in game two but I think I think you could the difference a lot of coaches say when you're not shooting the ball well as long as you're taking the right shots, I don't care. Like it's it, shots going to go in or they're going to miss. That's just part of the game. But if you're taking the right shots, it's okay. And I thought Chris Middleton didn't, he took some pretty ordinary shots, but I thought Drew was just taking the right shots that one of my points actually at the time of where I think um, the Bucks can get back into this after they obviously went down 0-2 was the fact that he's taking the right shots. They're going to fall. Like you just got to stick to, you know, trust yourself and stick with it. Um, so yeah, I, I came out of that game not as, Obviously, they're down 0-2, but not quite as um, as crazy as everybody else, I think, who was like, get the brooms out. <laughs> what did you make of, <laughs> of game two? Yeah, so my initial thoughts was, okay, they're willing to make change. You know, you watch some series and some coaches and it'll just be the same thing, you know, four or five or six games in a row where they um, – Mike D'Antoni, he gets killed for it a lot and it's probably why he hasn't had the playoff success that, you know, he just continues with the same game plan and trusts that if we execute it well enough, that'll win us enough games and and we'll keep going. So from the first quarter of that game too, you could tell that on the defensive side of the ball, there was a huge adjustment from switching, especially on Chris Paul pick and rolls that Drew Holiday was going to fight through every pick and roll he could to try to get back to Chris Paul so that he wasn't getting a mismatch with guys like Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis. So that was a big tick in terms of, okay, we saw what happened in game one. We're willing to change. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least we've done something. We're not just going to continue going down the same path we went down in game one. And then on the offensive side of the ball, that first quarter, there was a concerted effort to attack inside. We know Milwaukee love to shoot the three, but they're like, okay, we're not just going to come out here and hope that the three-point ball drops for us tonight. We're going to attack the paint, use our size, and I think their first 22 or 24 points were all in the paint in that first quarter. And they were dominating both the offensive and the defensive glass. I think they were up 10 or 12 maybe in that first quarter at one stage, but then obviously Phoenix wore them down and and turned it around before halftime. But from that first quarter, it said to me, okay, they are willing to play a different way and they're going to be willing to change things and adjust things to get back in this series. They're not just going to go through and think, okay, hopefully if, if we play well enough, that'll be, we'll be able to beat them. We're willing to change things up and try to keep Phoenix having to answer questions, keep them guessing. Um, and it didn't end up in a win, obviously, as I said, after that first quarter run, Phoenix were able to get their game going. Um, they were 20 or 40 from three. Whenever a team hits 23s at 50%, it's going to be very difficult to beat them, especially at home. You know, you've got 31 points from Devin Booker. 
You got, I think it was 27 from Bridges, which, yep. as we always say, there's always going to be games where one role player, it, it becomes their game, and that was the Bridges game. He was he was enormous. Um, Chris Paul was consistent. So, you know, you can't do much when a team shoots 50% um, from three and they hit 20 of them at home. It's going to make it very difficult especially when on your side of the equation, we know Giannis had 40-plus, but you didn't get a lot on the offensive side from Drew and Middleton. So, you know, it sucks to go down 0-2, but a bit like you, it wasn't like panic because it wasn't... They didn't get beat the same way they got beat in game one. They changed things up and they looked to work. You just come up against... You're in the finals. These are good teams... They got their game going. Their role players got going. So they won the game. You know, you, you go away from that thinking, okay, we trust that that's probably not going to happen again. They're probably not going to hit 23s at 50% and they're probably not going to get 27 points from one of their role players. So that they should have gone away feeling pretty good about themselves heading back to Milwaukee. Yeah, I agree. What did you think of, of Booker in, in that game too? Like for me, that was a real... I mean, he's good in game one, don't get me wrong, but... Man, he hit so many timely shots in that game too. That was just like, oh man, like it's like dagger over and over and over again. Every time it looked like the Bucks were, you know, going to get back into it. Um, that for me, it was just like, man, for for a guy his age, like he's really, really stepping into, you know, that elite level of, of the NBA. Yeah, it it was very frustrating to watch because, as I said before, <laughs> I I want Milwaukee to win. Yeah, but I, when I was watching it. I started to feel like, oh, this this must be what it feels like if you're not rooting for LeBron or Steph Curry. Because the shots he would hit, like you look, okay, Milwaukee would get it back to say 11 or they'd get it back to nine or seven and they would have a defensive set and you're watching and think, oh, this is a good set. We're late in the shot clock. Okay, Book's got it out on the wing. You know, there might be five seconds left on the shot clock. And then he would just rise up and hit a three. Like, no no play set, no real movement or anything. He would just rise up and just and just cash a three in someone's face, which guys like LeBron and Steph would do that to stop those runs. And it's very frustrating. He's like, what do you do with that? Like you're playing great defense. They're not running their sets. They're not running any plays or getting good ball movement. It's just a player being too good and just hitting, time, as you say, timely shots that stop your momentum because... You know, if you're down seven and you think, okay, we, we, we get a good defensive set here, we get a stop, then we go down with a chance to cut it to cut it to five or cut it to four, and they just rise up and hit a three in your face, and then they go up double digits again. It's like that just it kills your energy, it kills that momentum, especially when you're on the road. So it was very, very hard to watch when you're rooting against Phoenix. Trust me, as a non-Steph Curry or LeBron James fan, that's exactly how it feels. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, here we go again. Like you feel like you yeah. got a chance, and it's just like, nope. And it's, oh, okay. Yeah. And it was like, like what, do do? what do you do to that? Exactly. And I think the crazy thing was, it wasn't just once or twice. It seemed like ten times. I know it wasn't, but it just yeah. seemed like over. It was like, oh, for God's sakes! Like, can somebody else beat Every us? Every time like, I get close, yeah, yeah. Because obviously, I really wanted to split just to keep you know things interesting. One one. Um, but, but you're right. I think coming out of that, you've got to just go, okay, we change things up. We, we, um, we, we 
did things a lot better than we did in game one. They just had a really hot shooting night and that can happen. Let's go back home now where we're far better at home. That was seven and one at that point at home in the playoffs. And they were like five and six or something on the road. So Milwaukee's like, let's go home where we're comfortable. Um, and obviously um, got the game three win. Um, so what did you think about game three? Yeah, so before we do that, so obviously it was 0-2. Um, Phoenix did their business at home. Going back, there was a lot of talk saying the series is over. This is either going to be a sweep or a gentleman's sweep. Did you did you feel that after Phoenix went up 2-0 going back to Milwaukee? No, not at all. Because I'm, I'm a bit of a, although it's a bit different this season because of crowds and things like that, but I'm a bit of a believer of you just protect home court. And Phoenix did what they're meant to do. The, the, the crazy thing is they win two games at home and people are like, here comes a sweep, here comes a gentleman's sweep. If Milwaukee steals one of those games, everyone's like, Milwaukee's going to win the finals. It, like, it's very, very different. Like, the margin for error is, is you know what I mean? Like, it's just that one yes. game flip. If you can get, if you can steal one on the road, you've then got home court advantage, you know, and, and that's the way it goes. So I always find those things interesting. But for me, the biggest thing came down to, two of Milwaukee's main three guys, so Drew, Middleton, and Giannis, two of those three in games one and two weren't any good. They couldn't even get two of the three to be to both play well. It was um, – the first, game one was sort of a, a wishy-wash. No one really killed it. Um, game two, obviously, Giannis was really good. Drew and, and, um, and Middleton struggled. So it was like, if all three of them are on fire, look out. But at least if two of them are – are playing well, you know, they, they can really win this game. Whereas Phoenix on the flip side, Chris Paul and, and Book were great in games one and two. Aiton was really great in game one. He still had a solid game two, although he wasn't, didn't do as much, but obviously he had bridges that they had like their main guys playing well consistently. So it was like, okay, this has got to flip at some point because that's just, you know, the law of averages say it's going to flip, um, which obviously then we, we saw in game three. So for me, it wasn't panic mode. It was a little bit like, Let's, let's see what happens. Um, but I definitely wasn't thinking it was going to be a sweep. Um, I thought potentially it could have been a five-game series. Um, but it was like, again, think of the home court thing. Let's get back to Milwaukee um, where, where their role players are boosted by their crowd um, and see what happens. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't panic uh, at, that, at that time. What about you? Yeah, so... Now, obviously, we're doing this after game three, so people might think, "Oh, well, it's easy to say now <laughs> after, after game three has happened." But I did have I did have a conversation with a gentleman on Saturday night. Um, we were out for teppanyaki, Japanese food. So, anyone in the Albany region, Zenex is a beautiful place if you want to do some teppanyaki. But um, <laughs> and and we don't talk about this before before we do the pod. But it's interesting that we we're very similar in terms of how we view the game. Um, and whenever I look at a, a best of seven series um, in basketball and, you know, a team might be up 1-0 or 2-0 or whatever the case may be, and I think, okay, how have they won those games? And is there something that the team that's lost that they can do differently to flip that result? So, as you say, in game one, Phoenix's best players all played well. So you say, okay... They all played well. You're not going to beat a team if all their good players are playing well and your your best players aren't playing well. So that was game one. Okay, they win that, you know, whatever. Game two, as we spoke about, they went 23s, 50%, and they're at home. Your best player had 40 plus, but you didn't get anything out of your other two. 
but they did change the defensive schemes, which did work. They were just too good on the offensive side. So it's not like, like when I was watching the Cleveland um, uh, Golden State series, once they got Kevin Durant, you watch those series in the finals and you just knew it didn't matter what Cleveland did. Golden State were just too good. It didn't matter how many schemes Cleveland changed or anything like that. The only way they were going to win a game is if Golden State were no good. Whereas in this series, Phoenix had done two games where they played really, really well, so they won those. But Milwaukee had things that they could improve on. They weren't playing their best basketball. All their good players weren't playing well. So they had, they still had huge growth to be able to turn it around, and they were going home. So even though they're down 0-2, it wasn't like, oh, my God, there's nothing they can do. Phoenix are just way better. Hopefully Phoenix plays poorly so Milwaukee can win. Even with Phoenix playing that, Milwaukee still had a lot they could improve on in terms of their other good players. And then you throw into that that they lost Saric in game one and then they lost Torrey Craig in game two. Both big players that are backups for Aiden, which then we saw in game three, how much of a difference that makes. Because, yeah, they're not household names, but they're big bodies against someone like Giannis. So there was things that were going against Phoenix going back to Milwaukee, which all come to fruition in that game three where Giannis just dominated the paint. We got more out of Holiday, still not heaps out of Middleton, which is another big positive for Milwaukee because we've spoken last pod about the timely games where he's had his best performances so there's still a Middleton explosion to come out, which could happen either game four or game five. Mm-hmm. So I feel very confident in the fact that Milwaukee have more upside than what Phoenix do. Phoenix have played the best. I think they're going to play in this series in games one and two, because now you've lost Saric for the series. Torrey Craig, even though he played game three, certainly wasn't as good as what he has been. Um, so they've got some issues yeah, and we'll talk about that as we start to preview the rest of it. But I felt really good for a guy that's going for a team that's down 0-2 going back home. Yep, yep. And then as you said, it, in game three, it was like Drew Holiday, great. Um, obviously, Giannis was spectacular. I completely agree on the Chris Middleton thing. Played well, but it's like he's, he's, he's coming. So watch out now. If, if Now that Drew's had a good game, his confidence will obviously be higher because I think you just need to see the ball go in the hoop a few times. Um, and for me, I, I started to think back of you know, the last two years. It was almost like Giannis and, and Middleton were the two main guys. There was so much expectation on the team and they just the two of them just couldn't, just couldn't do it just with just the two of them. So they bring in a guy like Drew Holiday. They're like, this is our third piece you know, to, to the puzzle. He has a pretty ordinary game one and two, and it's like, oh, you know, are we going to say there's still one piece away? Um, comes out and I guess does what he what they what they need him to do um, in in game three, and all of a sudden now it's like it, I almost feel like, and I, I could be completely over exaggerating and, and flipping the script, but I almost feel like the pressures now is back on Phoenix because, as you say, Milwaukee's upside is they've still got ways to go in terms of improvement. Now, you could say, well, Booker's not going to shoot the ball that badly again, and, and Aiton, who was in foul trouble, is not going to be in foul trouble again. But you don't know those things. Like, that can yes. happen. Um, whereas the law of averages are still in Chris Middleton's favour that he's going to have one of these great games coming up. Um, again, I spoke about the fact that home uh, fans fuel you. 
Portis and, and that Connaughton or whatever his name. I always can't pronounce his yeah, surname Connington. properly. Yep. Um, I thought they were both fantastic. Both fantastic yes. off the bench. They just did little bits and pieces that really helped. And you could see the crowd giving them that, that extra you know, boost, which you don't get on the road. So again, being back home, being a role player, you know, we know what Bobby Portis is like. <laughs> he loves getting the crowd going as much as every, anybody. Um, and Connaughton's just just solid. You know, I think he's he's never going to be a great player, but he just helps you in in little ways um, to win. Knows his role. Um, so I thought they were they were really impressive um, in Game Three. And then obviously, um, you know, PJ Tucker's funeral happened when Cam Johnson um, <laughs> pretty much jumped from the free throw line over him. <laughs> Should have been a charge. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Mark Jackson and um, uh, Jeff Van Gundy on the commentary were like, imagine if you had to call that a charge. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what was your takeaway, I guess, on, on top of, of what we already said about game three? Yeah, so like, I was, as someone that wants Milwaukee to win, like I was watching it to see, okay, when... When's the pressure going to go away from Milwaukee and, and come on to Phoenix? Because Phoenix have played so well in those first two games. So they're playing free. They're feeling good. So they get to go into game three really with, with house money um, because you know, you, you're going away from home. You know, you're already up 2-0. You can play free, which can be very dangerous, especially for a team that doesn't have finals experience because you, know, you almost can be you know, some say experience is great to have, but sometimes that naivety of not experiencing the pressures of finals and when you're already up 2-0, you can just play free and everything just flows for you. So I was waiting for a moment where, you know, Milwaukee could finally just release the shackles and they could feel good about themselves and feel like, yeah, we actually can compete with this team. They're not just going to run us out of our own gym and just sweep us out of the finals. You know, we are we're a team that's been in battle tested in the finals where we've got a two time MVP. And that happened in the second quarter. They finally got a play where it just released all the pressure, I think, for the Milwaukee team. And it was the play where Drew Holiday blocks Devin Booker, um, who's trying to put in put up a layup, which starts a fast break. Holiday gets it, throws a behind the back pass yes. to Chris Middleton. He then um, runs the fast break. Back to Holiday, who almost gets blocked. And I'm because I'm watching the play thinking, oh, okay, this is gonna get the crowd going, they're gonna feel good. He's thrown a behind the back play, um, back pass. So he's obviously feeling more free that he can, you know, he's as you said, we struggled the first two games, so he's feeling good. But then once he gets the ball back on the fast break, I'm thinking if he gets blocked here, all that good feeling's gone. But he goes up, doesn't get blocked, threads the needle to Bobby Portis, who's then able to dunk the ball, which then obviously ignites the crowd. And from that play, I'm like, okay, they're all, that whole team in that whole arena, it just, the shackles just come off and all that pressure just goes away from Milwaukee and gets put back onto Phoenix for probably the first time in the series. So, you know, they, at that point, I think that, that only put them up six or eight or something like that. Yep. But, you could just feel, and you know as a player, like 
when you're playing tight, you know, they would have gone if they came thinking, gee, if we don't win this, the series is basically done. There's no, no one's coming back from 3-0. So you can, you can tighten up and you can play stressed and, and not free. But I think after that play, it would have just released all that tension. And then we could see how they were able to then go on huge runs through the second, third, and then obviously into the fourth quarter to end up winning by 20. So, for me, I feel really good after that game three, seeing the way Giannis was able to dominate and knowing that the big um, big guys for Phoenix aren't coming back. That's a huge concern for them. The fact that Drew is fighting over and playing great defense on Chris Paul, which is going to wear him down at 36 years old. And I worry about a team like Phoenix that's never been deep. As is, they, they haven't played in the playoffs, let alone in the finals. Whereas at least Milwaukee, they went to the second round last year in the bubble. They went to the conference finals the year before that. They're used to playing long seasons of basketball. These guys are playing two months longer than they ever have outside of a Chris Paul and a Jay Crowder. So you, you can start to see some signs of fatigue, which I think alarm bells should be ringing for, for some of these Phoenix players. And if they don't come out and win game four and we come to a three-game series, I think Milwaukee certainly then becomes the favourite in this series. Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on. For me, when eight, I mean, Aiton being in foul trouble, you could just see how important he is to that team. Because as you say, they've, they've lost a, a couple of big bodies or they're not fully fit um, behind him. And Monty Williams does not want to play Frank Kaminsky <laughs> He, he is no. playing him in spot minutes, but he doesn't want it because as soon as he does, Milwaukee just isolates him on somebody and they go to work. It's like, yeah. you, you just can't play him. Like, but he's, he's running out of options. So I think you're right. The depth is is something, particularly the longer the series goes, the more that it's going to play a factor. Um, and as you, you're right with, with a guy like um, Drew Holiday, who I think is, is somewhat of a pest defensively. Um, Chris Paul at his age would be like, come on, man. Like, just, you know... Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. Like, up 94 feet. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's obviously a massive, massive element going forward. Um, and, and Aiton's just got to be able to find a way to stay on the court because, um, and again, if you're Milwaukee, you're like, go at him, attack him, try and get him in foul trouble early because we know they don't want to play Kaminsky. They don't want to play these other guys. Um, they're going to have to go small. Uh, and that obviously benefits us big time. Um, and I love, I know it's, I mean, Portis was out there with Giannis a few times, but it was almost like Giannis was playing the center or the four and Bobby was playing the other one. And I really liked that lineup uh, when Aiton was off the court because Milwaukee just had a massive advantage, could swap, switch through everything. Um, and obviously then whoever Kaminsky was guarding or, or you know, the, the weakest defender on the other team, they just exposed them time and time and time again. And I love the way that Phoenix were sagging off playing, um, you know, the Ben Simmons defense where you like shoot it, shoot it, and Giannis was just Euro stepping to bloody everybody, you know, left, right, where, where it did, didn't matter. He was just like, I'm going to get to the rim, I'm going to get to the, I'm going to get to the free throw line. Um, so for a guy who's who's not a great free throw shooter, he's certainly not afraid to go to the line, which I think is massive. Um, and the defense is probably thinking, ah, damn it, like you know, we want you to shoot, mate. Yes. We're giving you that shot, but he just won't settle for it, you know, and that's that's. It's huge. It's massive. Um, what do you think Phoenix need to do to change the result of game three? Like what's their adjustment to you? So I think certainly, admit, you know, we're stating the obvious here, but Aiden can't get into foul trouble. Yeah. If he's not on the court, no one is stopping Giannis. 
he'll just have he'll have 40 point game after 40 point game and because he is attacking so much it puts so much pressure on your defense now um i i don't think the call certainly won't be readily available because um monty williams like always happens after game one bud complains about the ref so that they get many calls in game two monty complains about the refs in game three so they're getting You've got less it. Calls. it's yeah, like expected so, <laughs> yeah so i think aiden's gonna have much more rope um in game four but for them that's that's number one um number two i think they have to get some help off the ball for chris paul because he's the key for them if he's not their best player they're not winning this game and they're not winning this series so at 36 years old and a guy that has a history of breaking down late in series like late in playoff series late in seasons they can't allow drew holiday to be harassing him every play 94 feet making him work and change direction all the time without giving him a chop out and whether that's getting a campaign to bring the ball up and play a bit more of the point um, or giving Booker a bit more um, leeway to to be a playmaker with the ball in his hand because if they just allow Chris Paul to have to work that hard play after play I feel like it's the same thing's going to happen. He's going to break down and whether that's injury or just not playing as well as he needs to for them to win, they need to give him some help there and they need to get more out of their role players. Um, So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Booker. Averages say he's not going to, you know, score 10 points again, but he, they need to get at least 25 plus out of him for him to win, especially if Chris Paul's only giving you 20 and not giving you 35 or 40 like he had in game one um, and that game six against the Clippers. So they need to get more out of guys like Campaign, Bridges. Um, obviously, I don't think you're going to get a lot out of Torrey Craig unless that injury gets better as the series goes on. Um, but yeah, they're, they're probably the two keys is Aiton can't get into foul trouble and they need to get some help for Chris Paul so he doesn't break down and get fatigued um, as the series goes on. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the three things that stood out for me, and I remember um, when I was um, playing, and one of, the, one of the things that I've learned to appreciate more as I've gotten older is a coach once said to me, the three most important battles on the court are rebounds, free throws, and turnovers. If you can win all three, you're probably going to win the game. If you can win two of the three, you got to be in the game. Um, and you look at the, the box score, which I'm not a huge fan of just going off the box score, but I always like to check these sorts of things just to see if there's like a massive um, discrepancy or massive difference in the, in the two. Uh, and the Bucks won all three. They won the rebounds, they won the free throws, and they, won the t- they looked after the ball, so they didn't have too many turnovers. So for me, if you're, if you're um, Phoenix, you, you, you can contribute. I mean, you can somewhat control those things. You can tr- control being a bit more careful with the ball for starters um, the free throws, you can be aggressive and obviously that can sometimes can sometimes help uh, and rebounds is as much effort as anything else. You know, I think at one, at one point in time, um, I think it was Connaughton boxed out. Um, I can't remember if it was Kaminsky or somebody else, but the ball actually bounced before someone got it. And as you and I know, we used to do that drill <laughs> where yes. the ball had to bounce. And I thought, I took me back to that for starters, but I thought that that is a box out. Like I'm not yes. even worried about getting the ball. I'm just stopping my opponent from getting it and somebody else can go in and get it. 
you know, from my team. Um, so if I'm Phoenix, they're, they're just three things I can go, hey, we've got, we've got to win one of these. We can't lose all these. We've got to look after the ball more. I think they had 15 or 16 turnovers versus about seven, um, which is a big difference. Um, they got murdered on the free throw line, as you said. The fact that they then complained about that, hopefully we'll flip the script a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think, I think um, Milwaukee had about 13 offensive rebounds or something like that to about four for Phoenix. So when you get that offense, the offensive rebound, you know, in this day and age, you're kicking it out to a, a wide open three, nine times out of 10. And Drew Holiday was actually on the end of a lot of those. Um, so I think if they just tighten up those things, um, and obviously, as you said, Aiton is so, so cr- crucial because they don't have any other answers on that team. Um, and I think guys like Cam Johnson, Campaign, they, the guys off the bench really need to give a little bit more because you know that Portis and Connaughton and even Forbes and these guys off the bench for Milwaukee are going to be juiced and jacked being back in front of their home crowd in game four. Isn't confidence such a weird thing in sport? Like there's such this weird phenomenon in, in basketball, especially that these guys are professional athletes. Their mechanics are sound. They do the same things on the road, but at home, for some reason, they become a 20 plus point a game scorer. And then on the road, they become a five point scorer. Like it's just an amazing thing that happens in the NBA. Yeah, and and being able to fight through that too, it's almost like there's certain guys who they've either got it or they don't, and you can tell pretty early. Um, And there's other guys who who fight through it. Um, But obviously, when you've got your home crowd behind you and that adrenaline, it's a lot easier to fight through it when you're off to a rough start because as soon as that crowd gets going, you're like, let's go, you know. And then there's other guys who thrive off being on the road and keeping the the crowd quiet. You know, that's usually your, your elite level players. They enjoy that that challenge. I mean, Kobe used to talk about it all the time. Like, it's used to say it's so quiet in here, you know, because he just loved how quiet he was able to make the other crowd. But you're right, such a massive thing. And I think because the league's getting younger, it's even, like, more important because, you know, I mean, we, we talk about these guys, we forget that they're, a lot of them are early 20s. You know what I mean? Nice. Like, they, they don't have the life experience or, or things like that to be able to cope with those things just yet. Um, and if they do, it's, it's, yeah, they're pretty special. So, hot seat, who have you got taking game four? So I have Milwaukee taking game four. Um, I think it'll be very close again. I do think Phoenix will give a little bit back. Um, but I, a bit like you mentioned before, I'm, I'm, I think Giannis is now Giannis. <laughs> I think he's going to be pretty hard to slow down. Um, but I can see Middleton, it's time for him to, to have one of those games. Um, so I could see him putting up 30 plus. And obviously that just, the, the two of them, um, along with the an, enough support from the others offensively, um, I could see them uh, being obviously scoring enough points. And then on the defensive end, I just I just think they're getting better and better and better every game on that end. And uh, the the challenge is on Phoenix now. So I think I think it's going to be two two going back uh, to game five. What about you? Yeah, so I've got a cave in. So I th- I think Milwaukee will win. So. But the only way Phoenix will win it is if Chris Paul has a game like he had in game six. So it's almost been a fairy tale run for him, you know, to be so late in his career, to have a guy that, you know, two seasons ago before he had that year in OKC, they were talking about buying him out and this was just going to, he was going to fade out of the league like an Iverson or what we thought Melo was going to do before he got picked up with Portland to then have that year with OKC and now go to Phoenix and take them on this run 
all the way through to the NBA finals and potentially win his first ring at 36 years of age, for that fairy tale storyline to continue, they have to win game four. And the only way they're going to do that is if he has a historic game like he did in that game six. Because the longer this series goes, the more disadvantage it is for Phoenix, given their injuries and given the fact that they have, they're not accustomed to playing this long. So in sports, you see, you hear, you see all, the, all the time about these fairy tale runs that are improbable. And so this is their chance to have this improbable run. And it has to come down to Chris Paul having a historic game in game four, getting him 3-1. They go home and take it in five. If that doesn't happen, Milwaukee are going to win game four and they're going to win the series. It's such a massive game, isn't it? Because I think you're right. If Phoenix win, I, I will then be like, panic. <laughs> like hit, hit the panic. <laughs> hit, there's no LeBron James on that Milwaukee team. They ain't coming back from 3-1 down. No. Like It's not happening. Um, so it's, it's a must win for them. Um, and, and as I said, that's why I think there's a bit of pressure on, on Phoenix because they know if they can get that game, yeah, they're, they're pretty much... Um, home whereas if they lose it it's sort of like oh shit you know three game series now best of three it's back to two two you know you're almost a bit deflated like the scores are back to zero zero like here we go again you know um yeah do, do you reckon chris paul's got it in him and i mean that i know obviously he's great but he's not the kind of guy who is known to go out and get your 30 plus points and you know 10 plus assists he's not he's scoring wise that's not really his game so that's why I think the game six against the Clippers and, and that was so special and unique because it's not the Chris Paul that we're used to over a long, consistent point of view. And obviously he's getting older. He's getting worn down by Jeru Holiday. It'd be pretty special for him to pull something like that out. Yeah. So in terms of do I think he has it in him, the, the punter in me and the, the odds maker in me says no. And I say that because... History tells us that he just is unlucky. And, and I love to see a fairy tale in sport. And that's why you love sports so much because some things that happen in sports, if you took it to a movie producer, they would laugh you out the door because it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, that, and sports is the only place in the world where things that don't make any sense and these, these amazing stories happen of improbable victories happen so I want that to happen for Chris Paul as much as I want Milwaukee to win. But history tells me that some bad luck's going to happen. And I feel like, you know, even in this run, the fact that he ended up in COVID protocol during the conference finals, like, you know, and we've talked in the past about just the untimely injuries that happened to him. So for me, I feel like that's going to happen. And on the flip side of that, I always say that there's there's guys that are just built to play sport and other guys that have all the skill and all the talent in the world, but they're just not built to play sport. And and I hate to bring up Derek Rose, but yeah. once he did that knee, it just his body wasn't a cuss, it just wasn't built to play the game the way he played it. And that's why he continually get hurt all the time. Even like Saric to do his ACL on a play like that, like you know, some guys' bodies, and we see it in the AFL, like um, is it Alex Johnson, the, yep. the guy that played for Sydney, um, Dan Menzel, like they got all the talent in the world to play the actual game, but their bodies just aren't built for it. Yep. Giannis, to me, 
is built to play. And that's why when an injury like that happened to him where he hyperextends the knee, for 99% of players, mm-hmm. it's either 12 months off or at least a month off. And LeBron's a bit the same in terms of he rolls his ankle and he's straight back on the next play. His body is just seems to be built to play basketball. Like he can do all that Euro stepping and long strides and jumping and dunking and everything like that at his size and have a, have an injury like that hyperextension and be back in a week and dropping 40 plus in back-to-back NBA finals games. So for me, that tells me he's, he's built for this game and he's going to get stronger and stronger as the series goes. And there's going to be something that's unlucky that's going to happen to Chris Paul and he's not going to get that ring. I can't help but just in my head think about in 10 years' time that Chris Paul's in that category of great play and never won a ring. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just can't, I just have that fit, that sense in my head. And you're right. And that's what they always say like, you know, the greatest ability is availability. Yes. Um, and he's just one of those guys who just, there's so many weird things too that have happened to him. Um, like, yes. have they just been, they've been sort of freak things as well. Not like, you know, well, that was just silly or dumb on his behalf, you know, that he did that. It's just like, wow, it's just come out of nowhere. And it just seems to always happen at the exact wrong time. So, I think from his perspective, he'll be like, I don't want this to go any longer than it has to go because I'm I'm old. <laughs> like, you know, this, I imagine he's waking up pretty sore after after these games, trying to um, get himself up for the next one. Yeah. And we, we spoke about at the start of the playoffs, like how disappointing it would have been for Julius Randle, who had this amazing regular season. Yeah, people were talking about him for MVP at some stage. And then he had... A, very poor playoff series which put everything out the window Chris Paul's gone from winning the conference finals having that game six people talking about him being the greatest leader the greatest point guard ever all that sort of prisoner of the moment stuff he then goes up 2-0 in the finals and we're talking about if they don't win game four they they're not the favorites to win the title he could go within a week from being this greatest leader ever, greatest point guard ever, going to win his first ring in at 36 to the guy that has blown 3-1 leads, has blown 3-2 leads, has blown 2-0 leads to being up 2-0 in the NBA finals and then blowing that and not winning. So all that good cachet of getting Phoenix to the finals, the whole script will get flipped. It'll be Chris Paul was up 2-0 and didn't win the title. Yep, yep. I was watching one of those... Um one of the shows, I can't remember who it was now. It might have even been um, um, Colin Coward or one of, one of those shows. And he was talking to another fellow and he said, the other guy said, Chris Paul deserves to win this title. And um, I think it was Colin's response was, there's no such thing as deserves to win. You either win or you don't. There's plenty of, in sport, there's plenty of guys who deserved to win and never did. Doesn't, yes. make, doesn't take anything away from, like it doesn't mean that they were any less deserving but they just didn't, you know? And so he's like, just because he deserves to win doesn't mean they're going to win. Like they've got to go out and win. And I was like, that's so true. Like I think there's so many people who are rooting for him to win, yes. but you've got to go and do it, you know? And Milwaukee, I just, for me, every single game, they're getting better and better. And Phoenix aren't. <laughs> they're going the other way with injuries and foul trouble and, you know, all sorts of things that I think it's, it's a massive test for a team that's still pretty young too, aside from obviously Chris Paul and, and guys like that. The other guys are still young, so it's it's a massive mental challenge now of, of how tough are you mentally to to fight back now, you know, after, after and we're talking as we're talking as if they're down. They're not. 
Yes, but, they're still up 2-1. But you know what I mean? You're on the road. They could potentially tie the series to, uh, on uh, Thursday. It, it, this is when that sort of, it can creep into your mind a little bit. You can start thinking about it, you know, as a young player. And um, so I, I have no doubt Chris Paul's talking to them and trying to keep them focused on, you know, the task at hand. But that's just what happens in sport. People think about things, especially when you're young and overthink them and play them before they're there and, you know, all those sorts of things that for me, the pressure has just crept aside now towards towards Phoenix, which is after game two, that Suns in four guy who was belting the the Denver fellow in the yes. in the earlier series. I'm sure he was everywhere saying Suns in four after those first two games. Yes. Very true. Yeah. The the mental the mental side of the game is gonna be weird. You got a 20, 24 year old who's had ten points and got benched for the fourth quarter. Yeah, so all the talk on all the shows today was leading with that. It's going to be all over for the next two days until game four comes. So we're going to learn a lot about a 24-year-old in Devon Booker. And we're going to learn a lot about the team because as we just spoke about with Chris Paul, he's on a knife edge of terms of if they win, it's the ultimate fairy tale. If they lose, it's almost going to be the ultimate failure for him. For Phoenix, this game four is if they win it, they're up 3-1 going home and they're going to be feeling great thinking we're going to close this out in front of our home fans, bring a title, first title ever for Phoenix. If they lose it, they're then 2-2, series tied, three game going home on the back of losing two games. So all the pressure is going to be on them because they're going to be thinking, we've just lost two games. We're going home. If we lose game five, we're going to go back to Milwaukee, down 3-2, try to force a game seven. So, you know, it's, it's, it's on a knife edge for both Chris Paul and Phoenix going into this game four, which is so weird for a team that won the first two games. It is, isn't it? It's it's just funny how that it can it can flip. As I said, if they if Milwaukee had won one of the first two games on the road, the whole narrative would have been Milwaukee's going to win. You know, they've still on home court advantage. They're going to win the series. But then Phoenix win the first two, and now it's like, are they going to get swept? Like it's yes. one game can can make so can swing it so much. And I love what Giannis said after game three. He was just like, "There's one game. That's all I care about, which is the next game. I don't care about anything else." There's just one game. That's all I can think about. Just get this next one. Just get this next one. And it's that cliche of, you know, take it one game at a time. But that's the mindset you have to have when it comes to these things. Because as you said, I think in the previous pod, you never know what's going to happen with injuries and with all sorts of things. So you just got to focus on that next one, worry about that. And then, you know, everything else, whatever happens, happens. You know, control what you can control. Um, Mailbag for you. Um, If the finals ended today... And um, irrespective of the series being two ones, I just say clean slate in terms of just players, who wins the MVP? If you take the results out, Giannis is head and shoulders above anyone else. You know, his last two games have been you know, so far above anyone else. Chris Paul was the best player in game one. Giannis has been the best player in games two and three. by And by a, a long, a long way. So... If you take the results out, Giannis is a country mile in front of any other player in this series. Um, and as you know, that's probably why the momentum is swinging that way because in most cases, the team with the superstar generally wins in these series. So, you know, but yeah, if you take the results out, Giannis is a country mile in front of anyone else in this series. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Second one we got was if you had to rank the top five players on either team, so you're taking the top five. What's your order? One through five. And not, 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 not position-wise, just, yeah, yeah, the, top, just the five guys. Yeah. yeah. So Giannis, 
clear number one. Chris Paul, clear number two. Those those two guys, easily one and two. Then you would I would probably go Middleton, Booker, Aiton is how I'd go. And I've I've only got Middleton in front of Booker because he's done it for longer. So this has really been Booker's coming out party. He's been on bad teams for a long time. This is obviously first playoff run. So that's the only reason I have Middleton ahead of him. I think Booker will eventually go well past Middleton. Um, and just seeing Aiton, um, you know, as good as, you know, Drew's great, but Aiton has been great this whole playoff run and the first couple of games in the playoffs, um, in the finals, sorry. So that's why I've got him ahead of Drew. Who's your top five? I had the exact same, but I had Middleton and Booker. Swipped, swapped. Switched. And I'm just thinking of the now. I'm living in the moment, obviously. <laughs> and I love Chris Middleton. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, Booker's, aside from obviously having a, a poor game three, I just expect big things from him going forward. Um, but I think you're right. I think I think for me, Giroux's a fair bit off coming in over Aiton just because his games one and two were pretty poor. Um, and his game three was good. It wasn't like it was fantastic or anything. Um, whereas Aiton's been pretty solid throughout and he's so important to that team. Um, but I think he just slots in at that number five spot. Um, and I tell you what, there's Middleton, Drew, and Devin Booker who are all on Team USA, and they could certainly use those guys right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they certainly could. They're the boomers. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, anything else before we finish up? And hopefully hopefully we're back in a few days talking about you know, the series going the distance or going close yeah. to the distance. Well, I think I think as fans, we we want we want this thing to go six or seven. Um, yep. So ideally, what's going to happen is come Thursday, Milwaukee get the job done. Sunday is going to be Game Five, so hopefully we'll be doing a a, a pod Friday Sunday night to review um, and have our reactions to that Game Five, which hopefully will be because it's a two-two series, and then whoever wins that Game Five is going to be well in control. So. I like it. Let's stick with that plan. Let's let's stick with that plan, and hopefully, it's yep. <laughs> we're talking we're talking about an absolute cracker game because, as we know, when it's two two, game five is just huge. Like it's yes. it's so good. It's almost like a game seven, really. I know game seven is be all end all, but gee, game five is probably the next best thing, really. Yep, definitely. All right, awesome. Well, let's wrap it there, and um, yeah, we'll be back on Sunday with our next episode. Um, and I'm not going to let anything else get in the way of. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, my friend. I'll, I'll go isolate somewhere else by myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just go into 14 days quarantine. That's right. All right, mate. I'll talk to you then. All right. See you, bud. 